Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We are, I was going to say we're nearing the end. We're just over the halfway mark. I'm going to see how we're going to break up th- this end. Uh, in January, we're going to be starting a whole other different uh, type of series. So if we're not through the book of Acts, we'll just put a pause on there and go through another series and maybe pick it up when we're done with that. But we're in Acts chapter 16 today. Um, a few weeks ago, we went through um, some different things of the spread of the kingdom. And I'm going to th- th- show a couple of uh, slides up there in just a few minutes. But for right now... Um, I want to give a a brief overview of chapter 16. We're going to kind of go through it quickly, talk about some of the things, and then I want to hit three points in the in the in the book as a message for us today. So so we're going to kind of do something a little, little different. We're going to talk about some new people in chapter 16. If you're taking notes, um, we're going to meet a few people, some people that you're familiar with their names, and here's where we finally get to meet them. We're going to meet Timothy. You guys have heard of Timothy. Of course, we have the books of, of as, as Donald Trump would say, one and two Timothy. Um, we have uh, Lydia of Thyatira, who is the seller of purple. And then we're going to see something in a minute of somebody who his name does not appear here, but he shows up in chapter 16, um, and that's Luke. Uh, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, as well as, of course, the Gospel of Luke. And w- w- we, if you've been reading along, every time he talks about Paul's traveling, he says, and they went from here, and they went there, and they went there. In chapter 16, in one of the verses, you'll see where he begins, he changes the pronoun, and he starts saying, we. We traveled to this place, and we did this, and we did that. Luke joins the, the company of Paul and Silas uh, in chapter 16 for a little while, and then at the beginning of chapter 17, the pronoun changes again, and he starts talking about they and so Luke joins him for a little bit and we're going to find out that he gets left Um, it doesn't say that but that he gets left in one of the cities uh, which is called Philippi so the new places today Mysia Troas which is when you read the Troas here is the uh, ancient city of Troy and so we're going to be the gospel is going to be preached in Troas Macedonia and Philippi and it's come all the way through these areas and some of these you were familiar with Galatia Pontus we've read about Cappadocia we've read about all these Phrygia Pamphylia all these well today we're going to be over in Asia now the disciples are going to some of these places Iconium and Derbe and Lystra they're uh, they're back in these areas sharing the gospel and we're going to find out that the Lord prevents them from preaching the gospel in Asia so they go to Troas and from Troas they take a two day journey over to Philippi and Philippi is the the city where we get the book from Philippians and where uh, Paul preaches to the Philippians and we're going to learn a little bit about that so that's kind of some places some names um, and uh, of chapter 16 there's a a repeating phrase in chapter 16 that I also want to say and we'll listen for it it talks about with both Lydia and another gentleman the Philippian jailer where salvation comes and, and, and Paul says um, this is for you and your household, and so we're we're listening for that, and we want we'll we'll get we'll talk about that when we get there. Okay, do you have your seatbelts buckled? We're going to run through chapter sixteen. Thank you, Father, for your word because it's true and it's life. 
God, we thank you that the word of God is living. It is active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it divides joints and marrow. God, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. So as we go through here today, God, we pray that you would uh, speak to us, that it would be alive in our hearts. Father, there's history here, which is, might be exciting for some and, and, and dull for others. But God, beyond that, there's a message. And we pray that you would uh, touch and prick our heart with the message that we find in chapter 16 in Jesus' name. Amen. So at the beginning of chapter 16, um, it, it's, uh, they come to these places. We are talking about Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. Now remember, Timothy, Luke is writing this to, uh, um, to Theophilus. And this is you know, quite a bit after the, the exploits. So some of these people, Theophilus has heard of and knows. So he's writing this story and, and he's kind of telling Theophilus, this is where Timothy comes in. And that same thing for us, like, okay, we've heard of Timothy, so this is where Timothy comes in. Um, so we can be Theophilus today, and Luke is writing this letter to help us understand the history and understand that these aren't just stories, but this is, there's a, there's a, a manner in which all this happened, the way the gospel spread, and it's, it's great because Theophilus is going, oh, wow, that, I know that person, I know that person, I've heard of him. And so Luke is putting this all together for us and for Theophilus. Um, it says that in verse 2, it says, he was well spoken of by the brethren, at Lystra and Iconium. And verse 3 says this, Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So Timothy is a Jew, but he's only literally half Jew. But, but they wouldn't call him a half Jew. They would call him an apostate Jew because his dad was Greek and he was Jewish and he was uncircumcised. So although he's Jewish, he can't really even be in the synagogues. He can't do some of the things that other Jews because they know that he is, his father is Greek and that he was uncircumcised. So he's not looking, uh, he's not uh, looked upon well by the people. And so here Paul says, okay, Timothy's going to start coming with us, so we have to have him circumcised. Now, for those of you who've been with us, we know that just recently, Paul and Barnabas, they went up to Jerusalem because of all the, the people um, in Jerusalem saying, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And they went there and said, listen, God loves the Greeks. He loves the Gentiles. They don't have to be circumcised. So the church got together. They wrote that letter, sent it all around, and said, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. But we say avoid sexual immorality and the meat strangled, you know, strangle, uh, meat from strangled animals and blood. Do you, you guys remember the letter a little bit? That was like last chapter. Now Paul is making Timothy get circumcised. Well, why? Some of you say, well, he's a hypocrite. Absolutely not. Um, the reason he's having uh, Timothy get circumcised in this point is because he wants to be able to preach the gospel to the people without any hindrances. And we're going to come back to that in just a, in just a couple minutes. That's going to be the first part. So moving on, just kind of going through chapter 16. Uh, it says, let me get my notes because I don't want to read the whole thing because I just made a couple of quick things. Okay, so, so they begin to, to preach the gospel there. They take Timothy with them, and they're preaching the gospel. And, and starting in verse chapter 6, it says, When they had gone through Phrygia and Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. You're going to see this three times, forbidden by the Holy Spirit, and then one time it says forbidden by the Spirit of Jesus. This is one of those scriptures that talk about the, the Trinity of God. Because it's the Holy Spirit who they refer to as the Spirit of Jesus. It's one and the same. So these are those, those hidden roots that will tie the Bible together for us when you're reading this 
on your own, and I'm encouraging you to be reading it and rereading these chapters to see what God might speak. So they go up to, um, you know, some of these places up here. We've got Bithynia, and they're in Mysia. Now, Mysia is an area right here in Asia, and they're, they're right in here um, trying to preach the gospel, and the Holy Spirit says, you're not going to go to any more places in Asia. He's for, they're forbidding, God is forbidding them to preach the gospel, which is interesting. I'll say this really quick. We always have to be led by God in when and where to share our faith. But I believe that the, the default of God is share your faith. Share your faith. But we need to be open to his voice because sometimes he might say, don't share your faith right now. Don't share. The default is do it. So if you're ever wondering, hey, should I share my faith? The answer is yes, unless you hear God say no. And, and sometimes he does for a reason that's beyond our understanding and comprehension. Um, and so the Holy Spirit says, don't do it. So the, here they are. They're over in Troas, and pa- uh, Paul gets a vision from a guy from Macedonia, which is this area up here. This whole area is Macedonia, saying, come over here. And so this is where it picks up with Luke. And it says, uh, uh, verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood, and he pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us church the world is pleading with you give me the gospel because they're lost they don't always know that they're lost they don't always know that they want the truth but they want the truth they need jesus and so it's and this word picks up and after he had seen the vision immediately we sought to go to macedonia luke's with them now and they go across they take a two-day trip across uh, from from Troas to Philippi, they end up in Philippi, and this is where the majority of this chapter 16 happens. Very first thing, they're they're preaching down at the river, verse 11 and 12. Actually, let's pick it up in in 12. And from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, and it's a colony. Simply put, I'm talking fast. I want to just hit these quick. A colony is actually a Roman outpost. It's ruled by Rome. Its government is similar to Rome. And they would establish these places to help keep the other areas in check. And then in 13, it says, On the Sabbath day, they went, went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who we met there. Do you remember what Paul does every time he goes into a city? Where does he go and preach? Does anyone remember? The synagogue. How come he's not there in a synagogue? Instead, he's by, by the river. Because the, the, the Jewish rule would be when there were 10 heads of household in any town, they would establish a synagogue. So 10 heads of household, 10 families. If there were 10 Jewish heads of house, they would actually establish a synagogue and put it in place where, where people could go and worship. There is no synagogue in Philippi, though it's a heavy populated area, which means it's very under uh, they don't have god they don't have the jewish god of the bible and so instead they would just get together those that believed in god would get together somewhere and they would worship god and so that's why they're at the riverbed and here they're they're there for prayer as the custom was and they spoke to the women who met there primarily because there were not a lot of men who were jewish and there was a certain woman named lydia And so they preached the gospel to to Lydia, still in Philippi. It says, now it happened in verse 16, we went to prayer, same place down by the river, and a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. So this is a woman, she she had a demon. She actually had a demon who could tell the future. There is a business on Big Bear Boulevard, okay? That is not of God. 
Now, now some, of those, some of those people are just fakes and false people, but some of those people actually have a spirit, a demon. They are not from God. Christians should never have anything to do with fortune tellers, spiritists, anything like that. This woman, it said she was making much money by fortune telling. She wouldn't be making much money if there wasn't something coming out of her mouth that was valuable to people they wanted to hear. And so we've got to be careful because the messages that might come through a, a fortune teller or someone else might be accurate. doesn't make the, what they say true. And so this is what's happening. So this woman starts following the, the, the guys, um, the apostles here, Paul and S- Silas and Luke. And, and it says, for many days, and she was saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And I would think that's a good advertisement. But I have a feeling, and we don't know for sure, but she was going, these men are the servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming salvation. She was mocking and sarcastic, probably, likely. And finally, Paul gets sick of it. And he says, he gets annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. She gets delivered. And the people that make the prophets are really angry. And that's when they actually go to the synagogue, or not the synagogue, but to the magistrates, and they have Paul and Silas arrested. Um, Paul and Silas are beaten with rods. They're stripped. They're put in stocks in the inner part of the prison, and there they sit for the night until they decide what they're going to do with them. Uh, Picking up in verse 25... Uh, the next little part here is Paul, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. We're going to come back to this part. It's really important. So here they are. They're in the stocks. You know, I mean, it says their feet in the stocks. I don't know if their hands were, but the stocks are those wooden things, you know, that they would be. Um, but they were, so they're, they're chained up, and they're singing and praying. You need to be encouraged by that. An earthquake comes. The stocks are set free. The prison doors fly open. The Philippian jailer who's there um, wakes up, I don't know if he, if he wakes up, he, he sees that all the prison doors are open and he is about to kill himself because all the prisoners he thought had escaped. You know, just here's a little history. The reason he was going to kill himself is that prison guards in this time were, were typically ex-army, Roman ar- officers. They were w- working in the prison and the rule was that if somebody escapes, whoever's in charge of them, Whatever punishment was coming to the prisoner who escaped will happen to the guard. So if, if you let a prisoner escape who was going to be whipped, then you'll get whipped. If you let a prisoner escape who was sentenced to death, you die. That's pretty serious. And that's why the jailer took his job so serious and he put them in the inner part of the prison because he didn't want them to escape all the prison doors are open. All the prisoners are set free because Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns. And the, the uh, Philippian jailer, he's like, I'm, I'm dead. I'm going to just kill myself. Uh, and Paul cried. Now, this is amazing. The doors are open. The stocks are off. But there's still a jailer. Paul and Silas' opportunity is here. This guy was probably involved in beating us and doing all this stuff. Let's just let him die. Come on, right? I mean, that, that's something we would struggle with in this moment. Go, man, these are horrible people. If, if he wants to kill himself, that's his business. But Paul stops him and preaches the gospel to him. One of the most famous and important um, 
phrases that you'll ever say, hear, utter yourself is the Philippian jailer comes in and says, what must I do to be saved? That's the most important question anyone can ever ask. What must I do to be saved? And the answer is this. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your family. Now, what does that believe, believe mean? We've heard this message. Most of us have heard it before. The word believe is not just a light believe. Um, like uh, that, that, that um, and here's one might meddle, meddle with, with some of you. You know, most of you believe that driving while talking on the cell phone is illegal. Most of you believe that driving and talking on the cell phone can get you a ticket. Um, maybe th- that it could be dangerous. And yet, some of you still talk on the cell phone while driving because you really don't believe it's going to happen, right? Do you understand the things that we believe but don't really believe? If you believed you were going to win the lottery by buying a ticket, you would go out and buy a ticket if you really believed it. If it, you, most of us in here believe the big one is coming, the big earthquake, right? Let's find out. Who believes that the big earthquake is, pro, is, is coming? How many of you have your flashlights, your water, and all of your emergency supplies ready? Some of you, but not everyone. The ones who couldn't raise their hand on the second one don't really believe the big one's coming. You get it? Belief here isn't the, isn't the light belief. The belief here is, I believe it, I have water. I believe it, I have a first aid kit. Believe in the Lord Jesus. In fact, it's such a strong word, believe, that it is translated. Um, it, the, the Greek word is pistuo. Pist you know, that's the Greek word. I don't know. Anyways, um, but, but it literally means it's translated um, to commit in other places. Not believe, commit. So, so the, the understanding of do you believe in Jesus, have you, do you believe in him? Have you committed to him? Are you adhering to him? That's belief. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. That, that's, that's very simple. You and your household, this is available to everyone, but your house, those in your house, have to believe the same message. Nobody gets a free pass. Nobody gets a free pass. If you're saved, your husband isn't automatically saved because you're saved. They have to believe too. Your family members, no matter how much you love them, aren't saved because you believe. Now there might be a, a blessing, you know, that says that they're sanctified. A believing, a, an unbelieving husband is sanctified by his believing wife. That's not the same thing as salvation. That's for another time. So salvation is there for everyone who believes um, it's, a, it's a great thing. So that, anyways, the Philippian jailer, he actually takes him to his house, which the only picture I can have is that he takes them out of the prison, takes him to his house, calls all of his family around, but cleans up his wounds, feeds them dinner. Paul preaches the gospel. Everyone in his family gets saved, but by morning, they're back in the prison because the next morning, the, the magistrates come and say, okay, let them go. They can go. And Paul says, what, they just want us to sneak out of here? We're Roman citizens, and they imprisoned us without a trial. And they can't do that, so they need to come and apologize. And, the, and you know, this is just in there, and so they didn't realize they're Romans, and um, both Paul and Silas are actually Roman citizens. So they come and they say, please leave the city, we're sorry. And, and Paul, I love it, in verse 40, um, they went out of the prison. This is the last verse of the ch- chapter, and then we're going to get to a couple things here. It says, they go out of the prison, and they entered the house of Lydia. 
And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and then they departed. What boldness. And we to show you, explain just what happened. They were let go out of the prison, and they were told, leave town now. You know, I think most of us, it's like, these are the people who can arrest you, beat you, kill you. And they said, hey, we're going to let you go, but leave town. I think probably most of us would say, okay, we're leaving town. Paul goes, no, I'm going to go see the Christians first. He goes to the household of Lydia, and he encourages the Christians, and then he leaves. So we're never to be told what to do by the enemy. We should never be told what to do by the enemy. We should only be told what to do by the Lord Jesus. So I'm going to go back and, pre- and, and show us a couple of, of uh, messages here in the uh, um, book of Acts. Back at the beginning, Timothy, the circumcision of Timothy. If you're taking notes, you could, you could title this little part, um, The Gospel at Any Cost. The Gospel at Any Cost. Paul wants to preach the gospel. He's got this half-Jew, half-Greek guy who's going to come with them. He's going to be valuable in the ministry. But Paul knows that because of, of, of Timothy's um, lack of being circumcised, that he's not going to be accepted in some circles. It's going to cause a problem that some people will not hear the gospel of Jesus Christ because of this issue. Now remember, it's not mandatory that he's circumcised. He doesn't have to be circumcised, but Paul has him circumcised anyways because nothing is going to stop the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, who's the one making the big sacrifice? Timothy, you know, right? No fun. No bueno, as some people might say. And, and Timothy says, I don't care what it costs me. I'll be circumcised. The gospel at any cost. That needs to be and should be our opinion as well. We should be saying, I will not cause anything that I'm holding on to to stop my witness from being pure and accepted by people. The question is, is what, it, what might that be with you? See, the Bible says, and we hear this a lot in today's church, which is becoming more watered down, less committed, that, that we pull out verses, people pull out verses and say, you know, I know that some things, you know, may, you know maybe aren't so good, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that everything is permissible for me. Everything's permissible. So I can do anything. In fact, I hear Christians say, because the Bible says everything's permissible, even the sin is permissible for me. That's not true. That's not what Paul is saying. In fact, if you ever question that, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look at the list of things right before he says everything is permissible where it says, says um, I, drunkards, idolaters, uh, the covetous, extortioners, none of these people are going to enter the kingdom of God and then he says everything is permissible. Those things aren't permissible for Christians. If, if you could see um, everything, and I saw this example, um, if you could just kind of imagine this, this map is just a, an empty box, and it represents everything you can do in your, in your whole life is, is here. This would include sin. This would include watching movies. This would include getting married. This is everything you can do in life is this whole box. Up here, there is this area of things that are, we'll just call sin, absolute sin. The things that the Bible calls sin, 
the, are, are, are up in this little area. And maybe you can make another spot down here somewhere or somewhere else. And, and these things were maybe could be called the gray area. This little circle for Christians is not permissible. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is not saying that sin is permissible for a Christian. We're not supposed to sin. We need to remember that as Christians. And I don't want to go and spend a long time there, but I want to encourage us to not fall into the trap that the enemy is trying to say, you know, a little bit of sin is okay because I'm under the blood. It's a lie. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to go to hell for a little bit of sin, except that those who, in, in 1 Corinthians, when it's talking about, uh, don't you know, verse 9, if you're taking notes, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, none of them are going to inherit the kingdom of God. Including those who think they're Christians. They're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Heavy message. But we're not really talking about this, the, 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 this sin thing up here, but we might be talking about some other things, maybe the gray area down here are things that are holding you back, that you're, you're partaking in. What is it that you would say, nothing will hinder me for the, the gospel from being preached clearly to others? I, I, I pray and I've been praying that the Holy Spirit would just work in all of our hearts and lives to say, what is it that I do? How is it that I live that might hinder people from seeing the gospel clearly? Seeing what Jesus truly did for them and being like Timothy saying, the gospel at any cost. I like that. I like that thing over here. It's a gray area. In fact, the Bible says that everything is permissible. Not everything's beneficial. Yeah, that might not be very beneficial. But that's keeping me back. I'm willing to give it up. Timothy was. And because of that, we see the gospel spread. Remember, the, Timothy becomes a pastor, and he's, he, he works, and people become saved and discipled through his ministry because he was willing to spread the gospel at any cost, even our personal freedom. Is it warm? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're being meddled with. You might have the freedom. We might have the freedom to do things, but we need to say, Lord. Remember Philippians 3.20, which is Philippians, the book that we're, we're talking about, the city of Philippi, said, in Philippians 3.20, says, my citizenship is in heaven. That means that we're really not part of this world anymore. We need to live as people whose citizenship is somewhere else. That's the first mini message in here. The gospel at all costs. Going on though, there's another another little little message we see in the slave girl in, in verses 16 through 19. There's a cost of freedom. There's a cost of freedom. The slave girl is set free from the demon and she loses her livelihood and her workers lose their livelihood. Sometimes as Christians, Saying yes to Christ, coming to faith in Christ, is going to cost you. So, and, and the price is pretty high. In fact, sometimes pe- people come to Christ and the price is so high 
that they actually turn back away from Christ because they don't want to keep paying the, the cross. You know what? The slave girl is not named. Why not? I believe it's because she did not follow Christ. I believe she was set free from a demon and does not come to faith or comes to faith and turns her back. Otherwise, I think she would have had a name because her testimony would have been amazing. We don't, in fact, the scripture doesn't even say that she, she comes to faith. It just says that she got set free. There will be people that you come in contact with in your life that you will preach the gospel to. They may even come to an understanding of God. They may get set free from drugs or alcohol or a demon, but they won't come to faith in Christ. And that happens sometimes. We need to continue to press through. But when it comes to us, sometimes coming to faith is going to cost us. Sometimes it will cost you a job. Sometimes it will cost you relationships. The cost of freedom is high. But I want to focus in this last just couple minutes towards the end chapter, uh, of chapter 16, starting in verse 25. So Paul and Silas have been arrested. They've been beaten. In fact, verse 20, verse 22, it says that they commanded them to be stripped, tore off their clothes, and they were beaten with rods. Another verse in here says they were beaten many times. They're put in the stocks. And about midnight, they begin praying and singing hymns to God. You know, most of us have a bad day and we're complaining. But they're singing praise to God. And what happens? A couple of things. The prisoners are listening to them and going, what are they doing? Are they crazy? Why are they singing? I, I, I wish I could hear the songs that they were singing, the, the hymns that were popular back then. You know, obviously we don't, we don't have any of those songs um, today to know what they were singing, but they were praising God and they were praying and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly a great earthquake happens and the prison doors are opened and the shackles come off and they're free. Praise brings freedom. Praise brings freedom. In your life, no matter what you're going through, look to the Lord, seek Him, pray, and give Him praise, and freedom comes. Now, here's an interesting thing, is that they still stayed in prison all night. So they weren't, you're not always set free from what you're going through, but you're given the ability to go through it. There's another scripture that we, we misunderstand all the time and that's I can do all things through Christ which give me strength. And too often we see this on cards and on Facebook and anywhere else you can think of seeing this and we say it to one another going, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and, and, and run fast and I'm hoping I'm going to win the race. And we say, well, you can win this race. I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. Oh, I'm hoping to go to Stanford for my, for my education and we'll say, oh, you can do all things things through Christ which gives you strength and people want to do things and we try to encourage them you can do all things through Christ that's not what it's talking about because the truth is I can't do all things I can't fly it's actually you can go through all things through Christ which gives you strength you can endure all things in Christ which gives you strength and this is what's happening with Paul and Silas they're in jail but they're giving praise to God and in Christ 
they can do this. They can endure the difficulties in Christ because Christ gives us strength. So praise will bring freedom in your life. Years later, Paul writes to the Philippians, Rejoice in the Lord always. And I have a feeling that he's remembering that time in their city. Being in the stocks and in pain from being beaten with rods. He says, you know, you remember my story, but I can tell you, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Hebrews 13 encourages through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Let us continually give a sacrifice of praise. Praise isn't always easy, but it always brings freedom. Freedom from depression, freedom from worry. As you turn your heart towards God and give him praise, shackles can come off of your life. And he wants to set us free. There's a lot of hopelessness and depression and discouragement. We need to be those that would point to Jesus and help people to to see and praise God. Psalm 22, verse 3 says this, says, Yet, Lord, you are enthroned on the praise of Israel. Remember, the throne is the place of power. And it says that God is enthroned on our praises. You want power in your life? You want authority? You want things to change in your life? Let's become a people of praise. Praise God for His goodness. Praise God for what He's done, His sacrifice for us. And it's difficult. That's why it's called a sacrifice of praise. If you've ever been in a long-term relationship, if you've ever been married, if you've ever had children, when you're hacked off at them, when you're in the middle of a fight, that's the hardest time to look at them and say, I love you. But something breaks in freedom when you do it. If you've never done that, I encourage you to remember in the middle of that fight, the middle of that difficulty with your child, to look at them and say, I love you more than you'll ever know. You're an amazing child. You're an amazing husband. You're an incredible wife. Doesn't mean you're not having a difficulty in the moment. Things will change. And if it changes on on this earth, how much more will it change? God, I am suffering in a way that you can't understand. Then we go, well, of course you can understand because, okay. But anyways, God, I'm suffering, but I love you. And I don't even understand my difficulty today. I don't understand why I have this sickness. I don't understand why somebody died. But I give you praise for you are holy. High hand lifted up. Begin to praise him. When temptation comes, God, you are holy and I love you. You're enthroned on, on the praises, God, and I need your power and I thank you for your mercy and I thank you for your strength and I thank you for your grace and let the earthquake come and break the chains. Invite God into every moment of every suffering, of every difficulty. Become a person of praise in all of our parts of life. Now here's the thing. You may not, might not get out of prison tonight. They didn't. But the chains come off. There's a difference.
praise brings freedom. So as, you're, as we're reading the, the scriptures, always be praying and looking, God, what do you want to speak to me? Today in chapter 16, we know that the gospel needs to be preached at any cost. And that he's calling us to be willing to sacrifice our a freedom that maybe you feel, to give up a sin, to give something up and says, I, I, I refuse to let anything hinder the gospel from being shined through in my life. I'm going to become a person of praise. Let's pray. Father, this message is important for us to hear. It's important for me to hear. God, I would pray for each and every one of us in this room, right where we're at. Lord, there might be somebody here this morning who's never called on the name of the Lord Jesus, who's never believed and trusted, committed themselves to Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. God, I pray that right now that they would have the courage wherever they're seated to say, I believe, I commit, I entrust my life to you. Forgive me of trying to live it my life my own way. Forgive me of my sin. I will follow you. God, for those of us who've placed our trust in the past upon you, I pray that you would Show us the areas that we need to have cut off. That we're willing to sacrifice. Even if it hurts, even if it costs, God, we don't want the gospel to be hindered because of an attitude that we live with, because of a way of life, because of a behavior. Nothing. God, we're willing to give these things to you that the gospel will to be preached through our lives, the light will be shined. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us would become a person of praise, not just on Sunday morning singing, but God, through our life, that we would give you praise. When we're sharing and talking with friends, that we would open our mouth and the fruit of our lips would include at times your goodness, that we would praise you to our friends, to our family members. God, that we would look to you and, and lift up our hands and our hearts and praise you and let our love shine through. God, in our difficulties, we, we'd go through and say, God, I'm struggling. I have no strength in myself, but God, you are good. And I commit myself to you and I thank you. You're holy and high and lifted up. Help us to be a, a people of praise, God, because we need to be set free from so many things. And this morning, Lord, as even as we pray during worship, set us free. Set us free from anything that's holding us back. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.